White Hot Magazine, one of the world's leading platforms and institutions for contemporary art. Visit us online at whitehotmagazine.com and follow us on social media. The guest host today on the White Hot Magazine Art World podcast is Phoebe Hoban. She's interviewing artist Richard Pascarelli about his solo exhibition, As It Should Be, at Bravin Lee Programs in New York City, running from April 14th through May 14th, 2022. Richard Pascarelli's paintings make visible the relationships between physical reality and the mind. As part of his research, Pascarelli has immersed himself in the study of OCD and hoarding disorder by conducting field research in the homes of people affected by these conditions. Phoebe Hoban is known for many books, catalogs, and essays about such artists as Alice Neal, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and others. When did you first become aware of the idea of OCD and become and then become interested in it as as a subject? Okay, so I would say around 2014, I had always been a little bit um, organizationally obsessive compulsive, but for some reason it got to a head and my, you know, it's living your life this way is fine but when you have other people involved right yeah. so my my kids actually were the ones who started saying you know dad you know we can't live this way cuz i would straighten everything in the home right. i was always compulsively making everything straight and perfect right. and right. they'd come home from school throw a backpack on the floor right. and i'd have to pick it up do all right. this so anyway they said dad we can't live like this and I thought to myself, you know what? You're right. This is not, this is, this is hard for you. So then I started thinking, well, why, why do I do this? So I started, you know, doing some research into it. More like academic research, reading. And I started getting further and further into that research. And it started sparking all of these ideas for works of art. And what made you start focusing on hoarders who were the exact opposite of you. Yeah, so, you know, I had been going out into the homes of other people who were organizationally obsessive compulsive and... Um, oh, so these were people who, like you, were perfectionists. Yes. Oh, cool. <laughs> okay. And, you know, friends of mine, to get, to get ideas to further my, my uh, research, I thought, you know, there's so many different types of OCD and those disorders, and I thought, you know what, maybe... I should immerse myself in an environment that's going to be the exact opposite of the way I am. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I started asking around friends. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then uh, a friend of mine said, hey, one of my friends said that you could come to his apartment. And so mm -hmm. I did. And I'll tell you, I actually felt anxious about it. Were was, you in a state of shock when you saw when he opened the door? Yes. What did you see? Piles. Um, so he's what one would call an information hoarder. And those are people who collect and save um, books, magazines, newspapers, because they believe that there's valuable information in there right. that should not be thrown out. And so I learned that there's different types of hoarding as well. 
So there's aesthetic hoarding, which is basically collecting things because of their texture, their color, their shape. Um, there's uh, sentimental hoarding. There's recycling hoarding, information hoarding. So I learned that, but I also learned one interesting fact was that over 90% of the people who suffer from hoarding disorder uh, had a traumatic event happen to them in their childhood. And when you, and when you learn that fact, then you, then you go into these environments and you're talking to the person, you almost look at them and see that sort of innocent, uh, you know, Child. Child, right, that was injured in some way or had some trauma. And it allows you to feel much more empathetic towards the people. And then you start to see it more as a symptom of, uh, of their disorder. You start to really see it as a disorder and not their identity. That's interesting. Which, you know. how, is, um, how do you draw the line between hoarding and collecting? I mean, if you're talking about aesthetics... <laughs> the aesthetics of texture and shape. But you know, like I collect globes, other yeah. people I know do too. Obviously people that work in a gallery are familiar with collectors who collect. Mm -hmm. Yes. At, which, at, which, you know, I have referred to, it, which can be an addiction actually collecting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. People have so much stuff, it goes into storage. Yeah, well these people, you know, they're compelled. But, so in but, a sense it is kind of an addiction. But where do you draw the line between you draw the collecting line, and hoarding? When you draw the line when it starts to impede your life. When I you see. can't walk into your home, oh. when other people can't come into your home. So you became interested in it personally because you had the, the mirror image of it, really, the That's, perfectionist thing. Yes. But it was impacting the people in your life, mm -hmm. the people that you were closest to. Perfection and order. What mm -hmm. made you decide it was uh, a topic to explore artistically? I think that when I started reading, ideas just started popping into my head, visuals. Uh, images hmm. and so I decided to start to so I started with sketches in my sketchbook and just making notes and then I really felt inspired to start a want starting to want to make work about it you know do you take photographs for reference oh yeah so in the, I take thousands of photographs in my field of research do you feel that by um, committing the scene you see to canvas you're controlling it somehow? Is that yet another form of organization? Yes. That's funny because with one of the paintings that's, you know, um, based on a, uh, on a hoarding environment, I had, uh, I was at a sh in a show in, um, in London and the curator there said to me that I was bringing my compulsion for perfection in order to the way I executed yeah, the painting. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So they're very tight and hard-edged and all of that. And with those works, I'm also using really seductive color. They're very saturated. Right. And I think that that, the color, the choice in using such intense color was to really attract the viewer, almost mirroring that sense of allure that those people feel towards their, their the things that they're going to collect, you know? Mm -hmm. They're compelled, they're drawn mm -hmm. to those mm -hmm. things. And I thought as a painter I could do that through the use of color. The abstraction part of it, I think, you know, I think about sometimes people like John Chamberlain and the way his, sure. you know, these are doors and things, cars yeah. and things, and they're all mashed up, and so they're sort of real things, but they become their own forms, sure. you know? Yeah. I would think a little bit about um, James Rosenquist as well, mm -hmm. and his use of color, and also or this Or even sort of... uh, Rauschenberg. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the collages, in a way, are hoarders. Sure. Uh, they're kind of visual yeah. hoarders. Exactly. 
Um, but I think I was trying to find even more abstraction in it. And I uh -huh. think, you know, um, areas of a James Rosenquist can kind of look abstract in person, you know, these giant right. canvases. But, yeah. and I also like to take out text and logos out of the, the paintings. I don't want any of that in there because I don't want it to be about what the stuff is. I want it to be about its physical presence, yeah, what you know? it looks mm -hmm. like and feels like. It's the work that will be on exhibit at Robin Lee starting on April 14th. Yes. Um, are all, you know, your sort of linear, perfect, precise, oh, yeah. meticulous, uh, photorealistic. Mm -hmm. You know, we both came up in the art world at around the same time, but starting mm -hmm. with the pop movement mm -hmm. and then in the 80s, photorealism and so on. Do you want to yeah. talk about what influences, specifically sure. in this work, what would you say your influences oh, are? Oh, yeah. Like, I love minimalism, uh -huh. right? That's one of my favorite movements in art. But I am a representational painter. Uh -huh. And for years, I've been trying to figure out how to bring that into my work, uh -huh. you know? And I think that with this bookcase painting specifically, um, so it's 60 paintings, oil on mylar, on metal plates, which then are held up on the wall using mm -hmm. uh, recessed magnets. And then they're spaced one and a quarter inches apart. So the wall almost looks like it's the bookcase. Mm -hmm. And then these mm -hmm. square cubes are all recessed. Well, first, let me say that this work is really about that compulsion for, for order. And mm -hmm. this is based on my studio, um, the bookcases I keep in my studio. Mm -hmm. And it has elements from my life. You know, it has books that I've read. It's autobiographical. It is. It yeah. really is a portrait of me through my stuff, you know. Right. So with this work, I was thinking about several artists, actually, when I was creating it. But with the palette, for example, it's a much more muted palette. I was thinking a lot about the way um, Mirandi, you know, that beautiful, yeah. soft palette. But be, and the sensibility of the objects. I, 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 want, I love the, his work, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because... It's a real thing, but it, it transcends realism in, a, in mm -hmm. an interesting way. I mean, obviously, I these things that are in these boxes have value for you. Some of them, some of the boxes have family photographs from my great-grandparents and things like that. Some of it in the middle, the award there, that was from when I worked in advertising. What are in the black boxes those uh, have those are the photographs some of them are photographs and some of them are invitations to openings remember when we used to print invitations right. and right. things like that postcards and then I also thought about you know because it's 60 panels and it's sort of these repetitive forms one after the next Donald Judd I was gonna say that's Absolutely. an obvious influence yeah, yeah. I and just wrote down Judd. Yeah. yeah, and it's the reverse, you know, because it's recessed into yeah, the wall, and his right. works project off the well, wall. Well, and also his works are n are not. I mean, okay, some of them look like if if unless I'm totally wrong, some of them look like shelves or whatever, or tables or whatever, but they're yes. not actual objects. No, I mean they're they're not abstract because they're so cubist, but they're or they're so. Um, you know, uh, geometric, but they're specifically and meticulously geometric, but they don't represent an actual object the way these do, like, you know. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And then um, I also, I think, you know, a little bit Albers in mm -hmm, this, mm -hmm. because, you know, in these paintings, they, they look realistic, but when you get up close to them, they are, you know, really reduced down to as mm -hmm. little information as possible. And so, for example, in, in, in some of them, you know, when you look at the shadows, there's, they're all flat. Every color in these paintings is flat. I don't do any blending, mm -hmm. you know. And it's interesting how you can put, you know, 
one flat color next to another, but the way the mind reads it, you know, right. creates volume. And and you don't even need the, all of that other information in did, there. Did you specifically remove the logos and titles and authors' names from this as well to yes. make them more against um, uh, again about the physicality of the of the the, right. the subject rather matter. than the specificity of exactly because I don't want some, I, it's not about you don't want them to get hung up on whether it's Proust or you know yeah, exactly. Derrida or whatever for yeah. sure you know I don't I want them to look at it and 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 get a sense of this thing in the space. You know. What period of time uh, does the work in the show, wh when was it done? This piece was uh, completed in 2019. This piece took about a year to make. And what about the one with the 60? That's the one. Oh, this is, this still, is this just, is just, a just one recess. Yeah. Yes. So it took about a year to complete it. Yes, it took about a year to complete it. And um, because, you know, it's every shadow, the values, you can see, I worked on all of these paintings at once. Yeah. Because the colors had to be consistent. Also, every cube in this painting has the same perspective, right? I did not want to create a, a trompe l'oeil painting of my bookcases. You know, I where see. the yeah. bottom row was going, you'd see more of the bottom, right. and on the top row, you'd see more of the right. top of the right. cube. No, because it has to do with the way I think about the arranging of the objects in each thing. So each cube has, you know, one cube might have. Um, a set of three boxes in it. It's about the placement of those boxes within that. Right, when, I'm, when, right. I'm, when I'm doing it in person, I'm only concerned with the, the way that one box is. I is. see. And so I wanted each one to sort of be its own thing, the way it is in right. my mind. And you that, know? Does, that does make you focus on them individually, and it's a good point. I mean, maybe you could differentiate what the difference is between this and trompe l'oeil, but also, mm -hmm. um, at some point, we should talk about your process, because obviously it's mm -hmm. a very involved process um, mm -hmm. in order to meet your, your very perfectionist specification. <laughs> so um, what, just globally, what's the difference between this and trompe l'oeil? Well, it's interesting because a curator, another British curator, because, you know, trompe l'oeil is very popular in Europe. Right, and I actually wouldn't have, I love trompe l'oeil, and mm -hmm. I know people that actually do it for a living, but for whatever reason with yours, I don't think of trompe l'oil, I think oh, of Donald Judd. Yeah, good. <laughs> which I'm is glad. what you want. Which is what I want. Yeah. And you know what, the thing is, is but she, what she said, it was, she, she said, you know, what's interesting is that you're sort of taking this European tradition of trompe l'oeil, and you're smashing it together with this idea of um, the minimalism and all of these things, you know, and she thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it is, because trompe l'oeil is ancient. It is. I mean, it goes back to the Etruscans and stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, so... It's sort of humorous in a way. But, yeah. you know what? This is how I was able to get the the minimalism school that I love into my representation. I wanted you to talk... I, I do want to talk about process, but I think that... Um, you, you mentioned uh, in the material that I looked at the negative space, which is always a really interesting uh, element of people's work, how they use negative space. Like Alice Neal, who I wrote oh, about, yes. you know, she used negative space to indicate sometimes that she could do abstraction if she yes. wanted to and she chose not to, and she would leave the backgrounds very spare. Um, but, you know, sculptors in particular use negative space, and many painters um, use negative space Yes. To make a statement almost about what they're trying to uh, yes. achieve in their art. What I would say is um, that, you know, my obsession with the objects is not really um, to do with the objects, you know. Uh, it's more 
the, their physical relationship to the negative space around them, right? Right. So it, well, I'll give you a st an example through a story. So I came home one day and I have these candles that I have lined up, six candles. And I usually keep them about, you know, three or four inches apart. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> and I came in and somebody had pushed them together, right? right? Into little groupings of two. Right. And I instantly saw that and I walked over and I said, no, no, no. <laughs> and, I, and this is wrong, you know, and I had to correct it. Right. And I separated them out. And uh -huh. the minute I separated those candles, I saw the space between them as physically real as the candles themselves. I saw it. So they I were inhibiting it. space you needed to see. Yeah. They were so, impinging on the space you thought was necessary. I guess. Yeah, the space, you know, once I separated those candles out, the, the, the space between them, which we consider negative space or empty space, right. all of a sudden became physical for me. Right. Like it became solid. Right. As solid as the candles. And that then I thought, oh, wow, that's so interesting. And so then that started me down another road of thinking about work. So... I started, so this is the other work in the show, which is the um, Perfection series. With the Perfection series, okay, I told you I love the minimalists and right. conceptual art. Right. So I was, I've always been a huge fan of Solowitz's work. Uh -huh. And another artist who I, I thought like Judd, how can I get him, his thinking or that kind of thinking mm -hmm. into my work? So when I separated those candles apart, mm -hmm. I saw a measurement between the candles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, wow, what if I made a diagram of the, the objects that I'm, I, I want to create a painting on? Each of these paintings comes with a diagram, like an, an installation diagram. And that diagram specifies the size of a rectangle to be painted on the wall. So and what you were showing me th there mm -hmm. is one of the perfection pieces. Correct. Because all of these are, again, you can't see the relief, but they all are... Th three-dimensional. That is correct. Okay. Right. Each painting comes with a diagram and that diagram specifies the size of a, of a rectangle to be painted on your wall. It gives you the height off the floor and how, how large the rectangle is. And then it also shows you the panels. Each painting is on a panel. Mm -hmm. uh, oil on linen over panel. And then each panel has a little keyhole on the back. And I give you this specific spacing between the panels. So you can place these objects into that rectangle, you hang them within that rectangle on the wall, and then that creates the But the you piece. have to do it at the place where you tell them to do it. Where it's hung on that rectangle, you've specified. Oh, yes. It. Yeah. And so the funny thing is, is so, for example, this, you know, let's say, for example, my compulsion to try to get the, the dish towel centered on the handle of my dishwasher, right? Like, I like to have it hanging in the middle. <laughs> yeah, I know but, the feeling. Yes. <laughs> and everybody's always moving it, right? So I made a painting based on that. And you know what? It's never going to be moved. So the other thing I want to say with these works is that's interesting is, so imagine you have a 20-foot wall, right? Right. A blank wall. And you put three or four things up on that wall. All of a sudden, it's a grouping, right? Right. But there's nothing there to telling you that it's a grouping other than your mind. Your mind creates that grouping. Right. And so that's how I sort of determine the size of the rectangle to paint on the wall. I see. So it's sort of like, you know, you, you, that imaginary boundary, the way our minds so create that imaginary the, the, boundaries. So that the images within uh, the, they're little it's sculptures contained. really. Yeah, it's contained. Um, you've, you've grouped them for the person. 
That is correct. For the collector. Correct. Yeah. The imagine imaginary yeah. boundary that I saw. So you're again imposing your order on somebody else. And then and then <laughs> the other thing, so you were talking about negative space and stuff. So Rachel White read, right? Where she has, so she's casting the negative space under a chair or in a bookcase, right? And she's showing you what you can't see. Well, I, I love her work. I think it's very interesting. Anyway, but the... I kind of want to do the opposite. I mm -hmm. kind of want to remind you of the environment that you take for granted. Yeah, that brings up something else I wanted mm -hmm. uh, that occurred to me, which is, and it's actually something I mentioned in uh, in the book I wrote about Lucian Freud. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like Sigmund Freud's study, I think it imprinted itself on Lucian Freud's mind, and it gets, uh, you know, it, it becomes revealed in a lot of his work mm -hmm. later. But um, people who um, feel that objects have value they they project a value on them that makes them into actually almost like household gods yes you know and even Rilke even wrote even refers to that in I think one or two poems mm -hmm. um, and it's possible that the hoarders you know where the gods have run amok essentially they've taken over but do you imbue or do you project any value onto objects that you care about not just how they're organized, but the actual objects. Um, like sentimentality? Yeah, because I was going to mention the yeah. link to these wonderful works you've done, these sort of works of nostalgia where mm -hmm. um, a childhood uh, thing uh, becomes linked to a childhood strip of film or a strip of film that reflects the person who gave you the thing or right, whatever. Right. Um, the Relic series, yeah, which and, uses augmented yeah, reality. Yeah, the Relic series. I mean... What do you think is the relationship between the relic series, psychologically and emotionally, and this kind of thing? Because it it still it does to me fall still under the kind of rubric of the hoarder's yes. impulse too. Right. That they want to cling to something because it either represents part of them or part of their childhood mm -hmm. or part of somebody they loved that they lost or For sure. a home they I lost. Think the the link between all of these different bodies of work that I'm making that look visually different is one simple thing. I just want to represent or make visible the relationships between our minds and our physical surroundings or, you know, how our minds can be evidenced in the world around us, right? So in a sense, like, I, I describe the paintings as kinds of portraits of people's minds, you know? Right. And that's it, you know, all because I, when I first started, I, I the first ideas came and I thought, you know, oh, this is going to make a great series. But then all of a sudden I got another idea and, I, and it was a whole nother series. And I said, well, why am I going to limit myself to one series when all these ideas are coming? But it's interesting you don't really include something like furniture. Um, it's what all, do you mean furniture? Well, like tables and chairs and things. It's all objects. I mean, it's oh, objects yeah. like books or... Oh, that's inter an interesting You know, and I think even probably in your hoarding series, yes. which isn't going to be on show, um, the, what the people are hoarding... Well, some people do hoard, or hoard broken furniture, but in your abstract... Uh, representation of their hoarding contortions. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, they're more abstract, but you tend to focus on objects. I mean, mm -hmm. in the case of the hoarding series, the objects have become abstract and uh, represented more by their color or their shape or the volume they have in the painting. But with these, these are very specific sort of gem-like little objects, even yes. though they're the, very minimalist. They're not mm -hmm. like decorative objects. Right. 
So I was just mm. curious about that. I guess where the question comes from is yeah. you're saying that it's a portrait of the person in terms of their physical, the physical environment they've cre- created for themselves. Yes. But interestingly, you keep it sort of to the objects within it rather yes. than the utilitarian things. Correct. That uh-huh. are also part of their environment. Like if you walk into your house, yes. uh-huh. uh, it, it, apart from it looking well, very, very neat. Okay. I think actually, though, because it comes to, back to the idea of still life, you know? Yeah. And a lot of times still lives were of objects yeah. you know, on a table or yeah, whatever sure. like that. So, so that's the tradition you're working in a way, out of. Yes. And Mirandi is a good example of exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. It's sort of a still life. So you know? is most of the work in this then portraits of other people and then it culminates in the yeah. 60 panel one that's yeah. you? Yeah, so one side of the gallery is going to have this, the, the self-portrait number one, the, the bookcase painting. Right. And then the other side of the gallery is going to have six of the... Um, other people's of environments. The, uh, perfection pieces, the relief I see. ones. Yes. I see. Yes. Um, but I think we should talk... Uh, a little bit about your process, okay. uh, the materials you use, your practice, you know, the yeah, materials sure. you use or whatever, and it might, it would make sense, I think, because these are such extraordinary, um, you know, ex- exhibits of how you execute your work in terms of the meticulous uh, level of, you know, measurement and specificity mm-hmm. and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, if you could talk a little bit about that, I start with the the field research or the photographs, and well, I usually and again use we're talking those. about the perfection. Yeah. And the, okay. And the order. oh yes. Okay. There are these the, the we're the, not talking about the hoarding paintings. No, yet. we're talking about what's going to be absolutely. in the show. Absolutely, for sure. These paintings are all based on real environments and that I experience. You know. Um, so you start out with the field research. Yes, and then and I take thousands of photographs when I'm there. And then I will go through my photographs and find the images that I think are the most compelling. And then I will do drawings based on those. And sometimes I'll use the, the computer because I can do use you know software where I'm using rectangles and things like that very simply. In the um, perfection pieces, those are oil on linen on panel and the panels have to get cut and I use a PVC panel and they're and they're um, cut you know digitally cut so I have to create a, a drawing in the computer but then that serves as my drawing later for the installation diagram. So d- the drawing is not a huge part of the process? No it's really not it's really about the finding the image in the world and then so then I'll do the panels and I will put the um, I will stretch the um, canvas onto those panels, and then I do traditional oil painting. So it's basically. all oil, and none of it's acrylic. No. Okay. I, I've never, I never um, was attracted to acrylic. There was something about the plasticity of the paint that I just, I couldn't. It and just what, didn't jive with me. I like wa- I love watercolor. And when you say that the um, the self portrait, the sixty panel one, um, yes. that took. A year because there's so many individual images yes. within it, right? Correct. They're so detailed. They're well, they're they look more detailed, but when you see it up close in person, you're going to be surprised to see how um, minimal detail there actually is. And it's funny because the execution is almost as as um, compulsive compulsive as the subject matter that I'm painting. Um, well, I had clearly, to take breaks. Clearly, yeah. I had to take breaks. I mean, the paintings are compulsive. You know yeah. that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I do. And I'm okay with that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because of that. And that's where sometimes working on the hoarding paintings um, is a little bit of a break. 
Like I can go from these really tight things and then I can have nice release and just be a painter and just, well, because although the hoarding paintings are very tight, look tight, they're very fast and very fluid and much more. Um, and what about applying the paint so that it's so even? I mean, yeah. you're not a you're not somebody that uses, uh, you know, impasto or whatever. No, I just I paint almost There's like no, a watercolor. It's color. not gestural. It's very very flat. You yourself use the word yes, flat. lots of thin layers, mm -hmm. um, transparent layers because so that can give me the vibrancy. So how do you keep the level like very um, uh, consistent? I use, I brush it out. Ah, uh, okay. And I use very fine brushes that don't have a lot of, they're not those um, oil brushes that right. you see that are very coarse. Yeah. They're almost more like watercolor brushes. What made you want to go to the relief, uh, you know, to r raising them off <laughs> the um, actual flat yeah, so surface. It's almost like I'm taking one environment and I'm bringing it to another. Right, but you've also created objects mm -hmm. instead of representations of objects. Yes, but so at the same made, time, they're still representations. They are raised off the canvas. Yes, I think I had been thinking a lot about, I like I said, Judd and people like that who are three dimensional, and I was also interested in this idea of things in relation to each other. Mm -hmm. The the Solowit kind right. of thing, where I was, could do a diagram or something. Since you said the 60-panel extraordinary work is, which is so minimalist, but in a way so detailed and meticulous, um, is a self-portrait, mm -hmm. you know, it's autobiographical, uh, apart from the fact that it clearly shows you're compulsive. Mm -hmm. um, what, I mean, who is the person that you feel that the 60-panel what is the 60 panel thing saying about you besides that you have an organizational disorder? <laughs> it shows the way I think, right? Uh -huh. I think if I was in another type of job, I might be more of an engineer or a mathematician or something along those lines. Uh -huh. Like I like precision, not right. just in in my art, but also in my life and the way I build that. Like I like building things. so. I think I could have gone down that road. I think so. It speaks to that part of me. I think it speaks to. Um, I think also this painting, because of the palette being a little bit softer, it's, it, there's a softer side to me. Mm -hmm. I think because of the muted palette, there's a there's a gentleness to it, mm -hmm. and I I think of myself as somewhat of a gentle person. That's a that's a very good question, Phoebe. Well, I would say. Yeah that it's a hard question to answer, but in a way you've sort of answered it and you've sort of mentioned things in the rest of our conversation that maybe could shed some light on it, which is in a way you've sort of merged your, you know, your desire for order in your life with your desire for order in your art. Mm -hmm. And so since this is autobiographical, it includes, you know, organized inventory of your art organized inventory, organized implements to make your art, but also sort of hidden away, organized memories, mm -hmm. you know, yes. organized souvenirs of your past and your family's past. I think that's very well said. Yeah. I look at, when I look at all of the things individually, see, I guess I'm looking at the whole thing as a whole, but each thing I look at makes me think of different stories. One of the things I wanted to say about this work too, uh, in regards to um, perfection and order is because it really is almost impossible to achieve that in life. Like I said, things are always being um, changing and shifting. And I f feel that, you know, so if, if um, 
perfection is unattainable in life, I do feel like it is attainable in art. Yeah. So I can get it perfect here. Right. And I can keep it. And do you it. feel you have? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And I know no one's going to touch it and, and move yeah. it or it'll stay that way. Okay. So, um, so Richard, for those people that are listening to this podcast, to this very interesting uh, you know, interrogation and sort of exploration of the, uh, the impulses behind your work, um, please tell me when the show will be up and how long it will be up and what exactly, you know, how many things will be in it. Sure. Yeah. So the show is called As It Should Be and is going to be at Bravin Lee Programs from April 14th through May 14th. And people can also look at my work online on my website, richardpascarelli.com, as well as follow me on Instagram. It's just Richard Pascarelli. And the exhibit will, I think you said, include this amazing self-portrait in miniature uh, (laughs) Judd-like cubes. And on the other wall, there'll be six images. Six, did you say? Correct. That um, reflect other people's, you know, compulsion for perfection. Correct. Absolutely. And it will be, um, one side is called perfection and the other side is called order. Correct. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Thank you so much, Phoebe. Thank you, Richard. I appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.